Hey guys, Alma Lee here. So let's just get into it. Let's just dig right in. This is the introductory episode from fear to love. Well, first of all, I, I just want to say thank you for giving me your time. I believe that time is our most precious commodity. Um, we can't get it back. So if you're listening to this and you're dedicating part of your time of your day with me today, I am deeply grateful and I just want you to know that as we move forward. So who am I? What is my purpose? What, is, what are my intentions? What are my goals? What do I, what do I, what do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> so uh, I, you know, it started out many, many years ago. When I was a little girl, I have a, I have a very clear memory of being told that I talk too much. You're too sensitive. You need to think before you speak. And, you know, maybe that was true. Maybe I do talk too much, but it's a part of who I am. And nobody's perfect. All human beings are fallible. Um, I, I have, gosh, I'm sitting here and as I'm trying to articulate how I want to connect with you and how I want to, you know, give you this impression of who I am, I feel compelled to withhold or say certain things a certain way. And that's not what I want to do at all. In fact, I want you to experience this with me authentically. I want you to hear the, <clears throat> the flubs, the skips, the, that, you know, what would normally be considered an outtake. You can hear Sophie, my dog here in the background, rolling around. She's always getting a little bit agitated when she hears me talking because she doesn't know who I'm talking to. So, but I want to let you know who I am, what I do, and better yet, what I want to do for you, the listener. So again, my name is Alma. And uh, first thing that I can think of is that I'm just a redneck girl from Alabama. I grew up in Alabama. Um, you know, a, a big cornerstone, big part of who I am is I struggled a lot with uh, heavy drinking on active duty. Well, that's not the beginning of the story, although when it happened, that's what I thought it was. I thought that I just wasn't handling military life well. So let me back up. We all have issues. I've never met a single person in this life who did not have some type of adversity that they had to overcome. And I'm a big proponent of not comparing apples and oranges. I think that whatever you've been dealt with in this life that you can work through and overcome. And I think everybody's situation is different. Mine, I grew up, I grew up uh, being raised by a drug addict and uh, an enabler. And that's pretty much the long and short of it. Um, I've been condemned off and on over time. Like, how can you talk about your family that way? Well, easily, you know, it's the truth. <laughs> and a big part of what I do is to encourage my listeners, my clients, the people that I speak to in large audiences is my message is not to disparage my family. I have better things to do with my time. And I, I'm certain that you have better things to do with your time as well. Um, but I can't deny that part of who I am because then that negates me being authentic. So you have to fully understand that. So, yeah, I mean, obviously when you are born and raised in an adverse or a, you know, my climate, I, 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 I think of it as tyranny. 
Like I was always an anxious child and that was due mostly to my father's abuse. My father's abuse of drugs and, and uh, not so much alcohol, but mostly drugs and opiates. Um, and he was abusive. It's just, that's the way it was. Um, my mother turned a blind eye to his abuse for the most part. And so what happened with that? What's the purpose in sharing that with you? Well, that created in me a level of anxiety, a baseline level of anxiety and a baseline level of major depressive disorder and some PTSD that culminated years later in my military life. So I enlisted in the military in 1994 and I, yeah, I know it's been a while. It's been a minute. And uh, I got into the military. I got away from Alabama. I got away from all those adverse conditions. And I got around new interesting people who uh, I got an education, a real education in culture. People from beautiful, wonderful people, people that I'm still friends with to this day, hopefully that are listening to this, that I learned from and I grew from. And, you know, a big part of that was learning who I was and what my identity was. And I had this idea, right? Uh, when I graduated high school in 1991, my cognition, and I, you'll listen, if you'll listen to the shows as, as, you know, as record these shows, you'll understand different terms, like the term cognition. It's just a fancy word for a belief. So the way I break that down is a cognition is how you see yourself in the world and your perception of how other people see you. That's the way I, I sort of define that. So my cognition of self back in those days was I was dumb. I was not a smart person. This is, this is what was, what I was groomed to believe about myself, both by and large in my climate, my environment, but also from myself. I reaffirmed that belief about myself because other people were telling me that it must be true. So it was a struggle. I barely graduated high school. I graduated high school with a D average in 1991. I spent the next three years kind of bouncing between fast food and manufacturing work. And I was in a, uh, you know, a relationship with someone in, in, in that climate, in that dynamic, I expected this person to save me, fix me, take care of me because I didn't believe I was smart enough to take care of myself. Well, that relationship fell apart and it was devastating. But what I didn't realize was that it put in me um, a sense of resentment that was, you know, pretty much just, I was pissed off. I was just really pissed off. So I enlisted in the military to get the hell out of there. And so from that experience and the experience of going through basic training and graduating basic training, I slowly started to develop a healthier sense of self. Now it took many, many years to get to where I am today in my evolution, but I'm just wanting to share you. I want to take this opportunity to really give you a full snapshot of who I am and how I ended up where I am today. So I attribute much of my initial growth in my military experience. Um, I was suicidal. I was suicidal as a child, both when I was 12 and later on when I was, I think I was 16. And then the last time was my 25th birthday and that was on active duty. And I had a life changing event that occurred due to that because of my commander and I will loud her out and I will say her name because she deserves all of the all of the the credit in her treatment of me in that moment shifted 
my mindset ever so slightly, but it absolutely pivoted my mindset into a healthier direction. And that was at the time she was a Lieutenant Colonel, but that was Mary Kay Hertog. Some of you may know her. She actually, she actually was top cop in the Air Force and retired as a two-star general. Beautiful, wonderful, spectacular human being um, who instilled in me a belief that I might actually be worthy of love because of the way she handled that situation. So, I know. (laughs) Uh, So, at any rate, I got, she put me into a, a program because I had been drinking really heavily. But looking back on it now, it wasn't so much the alcohol that was the problem. It was my need to self-medicate to get away from the pain of my past. The pain of feeling worthless. I felt worthless. And that's going to be a key point that I'll kind of revisit as, as we touch on these, podca- on these episodes. Um, is the sense of worthlessness. Like I literally felt less than those around me. And all of these events in my life, I can look back now and doing this work and I can see very clearly how each one of these episodes, each one of these catastrophic or what I, what I determined to be catastrophic episodes in my life that were just so incredibly adverse and painful, the breakup, um, the feeling of worthlessness, the loneliness, the isolation all of the anxiety and the depression, all of that. And then the self-medication of alcohol that, that made everything worse. It made my depression worse. Um, I look back on it now and you know, I mean, it was hell, but it absolutely was critical in the development of who I am today. So anyway, uh, I went into, uh, an outpatient rehab program. And at the end of that outpatient rehab program, I met a guy and I got pregnant. What a great time to get pregnant. He bails out because he's not ready to have a kid. So I end up leaving the Air Force, you know, with my tail between my legs and I have to book it back home to Alabama. No job, no prospects for a job. I'm broke as hell. I've got a newborn baby and now I'm back home right back where I started from. So you want to talk about eating crow and eating humble pie? That, that was tough. And I ended up staying in my hometown for about nine months after I separated uh, from the Air Force. But my, my girlfriend, Pam, she and I are, we're best friends still to this day, been 20, 27 years now. She was living as, you know, hand to mouth, same situation, living in North Carolina with her daughter. So I moved to North Carolina in 2000, was it 2000? Yeah, it was 2000. And she and I, you know, we, we kind of helped each other out for a while. And, um, figured out that, you know, we, we were better off, not as roommates, but just as friends. And I started to kind of move into the space of figuring out who I was outside of the military and as a single mom. But I will say this though, having a child and raising a child after you were raised in an environment by caregivers who did not instill a sense of self-worth in you, um, And then raising a child gives a whole different perspective. It gives a whole different lens over how you see yourself. Because before before I had my son, my son Nick, who's almost 23 now, um, and and I'll talk more about him later. I'm sure he'll be really proud of me talking about him. But um, looking at my child, my little baby, I had a realization because I had such a profound sense of love for him it made me revisit all of my childhood trauma because it was like, what the hell? 
you know, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't care more about me. You couldn't treat me better. I can't fail him. I love him too much. So it kind of put a whole different spin on my trauma. So in a weird sort of way, becoming a mom was re-traumatizing to my childhood trauma because it made me rethink all of those ideas about myself. Like, how could you? Like, I don't want to screw his life up. And I knew that I was going to make mistakes. And I know that I have made mistakes looking back. But how could you bring a child into this world and not love that person and give them the kind of love? But at the time, again, I see things differently now in the space that I'm in now. Both of my parents have now passed. And so I have a little bit of room, I think, a little wiggle room here to be more honest about my childhood in a frame of mind that is logical and factual. It's not intended to disparage anyone, but I'm, I'm speaking my truth here. So I, I, had, a, I had a new upsurgent uh, of, of my depression and my anxiety after I had my son. And so from that point, I can remember, you know, again, living hand to mouth. I was, I was selling cars or not selling cars, actually, because I sucked at it. It was the only job that I ever got fired from was because I wasn't making sales and uh, just really not feeling my sense of worth in that. I'm like, what am I going to do? I can't get an education. I'm not really smart enough for, for college, am I? I mean, I have my GI Bill from, from the Air Force. So I was working around, you know, and uh, dating here and there. And then I, I, I met a person, a nice guy, and it wasn't really a relationship that lived in Charleston. He needed a roommate. I said, I'll try Charleston. It's close to the beach. I love the water. I moved to Charleston in 2002 and got another job at a car dealership. Um, and then uh, this was uh, after 9-11, of course. And I was getting ready to just go back into the Air Force. I thought that was my only shot. And um, I was about two weeks out from going back to um, tech school when I got a call from the TSA. And the Transportation Security Administration had offered me an opportunity to interview for a lead screener position. I was like, of course, I'm going to jump on that in a heartbeat. So I went in and I did the interview and it went really well. And a couple of days after the interview, they called me up and they had offered me the job. And I remember sitting in my car crying because I finally had something permanent full-time that had benefits. I had gone a couple of years without any health insurance and I had gone to, I had gone to work with strep throat because I didn't have any means. Um, but at any rate, um, yeah, so <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm regurgitating all of this and all these memories are just flying back. But I, I went to work for the TSA, but they ended up calling me and asking me if I wanted a supervisor position. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know if I can handle that. But I accepted it because it was more money, of course. Yes, of course I can do this. So having an opportunity working for the TSA as a transportation a screening supervisor, my job essentially was to sit in the back, drink my coffee, and shut the hell up because my screeners, I could get on their nerves. And I was there to make determinations on what could or couldn't fly and to mitigate any conflicts, right? Well, obviously, working in that environment, that toughens you a bit. It stiffens your spine. And, and there's kind of a theme to, the, to all of this because this was not the first time that this had happened to me. This had happened to me two significant times before. When I was in high school, when I turned 18, the day I turned 18, I was offered an opportunity to be uh, an assistant manager at the age of 18 at McDonald's. I was I went into the walk-in cooler and I cried because I was afraid my friends were going to be mad at me. And then it happened again in the military. 
uh, in training, when I was in air base ground defense training with the Army at Fort Dix, New Jersey, I was offered an opportunity to be platoon leader. And this was before I, before I ate shit on a road march and passed out. Um, I was still the platoon leader, but you know, I feel like they lost some confidence in me because of a health condition, a health condition that I still have to this day. But at any rate, so this happened twice before. And then I was offered an opportunity to be a, you know, a, a, a supervisor. And, you know, again, sitting here and, and recording this, and I think back, you know, there's been time and time and time again that the universe has been speaking to me very loudly about what my trajectory is, what my path is. And I've had these opportunities to be in leadership roles repeatedly, repeatedly. Leaderships, leadership roles that I didn't necessarily ask for, but that were presented to me. Um, so, I, you know, I can look back now on it and see it very clearly, but I didn't recognize it at the time. But working at the TSA, I um, had, you know, sat there and would drink coffee and talk to the screeners and talk to the passengers. Well, when you're doing this job day in and day out, you can't help but to observe people's behaviors. You can't help to be uh, intrigued by how conditions affect someone's mood and how they and how they act. And that was the beginning of my interest in human behavior. And then I had a passenger come through who had a book on, um, it was some type of a human development book. And I asked her about it. She said, well, I'm a, I'm a social worker. And I thought, oh, in my mind, I'm thinking you're the, you're the person that goes in and takes kids away. Right. She's, she says, no, you can do anything as a social worker. She said, you can be a therapist as a social worker. That was the day the light bulb came on, but I wasn't smart enough for that yet. Right. So, you know, as I'm working for the TSA and, I, I met my then uh, ex-husband and we get married. I quit my job. We move all around. We moved to upstate New York. We moved to Virginia. We moved to Illinois. We moved to uh, Hawaii, Colorado. And I end up finishing my grad degree in Colorado and uh, getting my clinical license as a psychotherapist. Because the whole time that I was married, and we're bouncing around and, and I was living in these adverse conditions with, you know, taking care of a family and losing my job. And when I got married, I felt like I lost myself. Um, and I've had this conversation with my ex-husband many times about how I needed to reclaim my identity. And I'm sure a lot of you listening to this right now feel the same. Um, and I'll say this too, when I, when I quit my job at the TSA, and then later on uh, had my daughter. So I had two children at home with, with my then husband on active duty. I will tell you right now, and I will say this until my dying day, out of all the jobs I have ever had, selling cars, working in fast food, manufacturing, being active duty military, working 14, 15 hour shifts, um, in, you know, in the hot sun, outside, no bathroom breaks, still to this day, without question, Hardest job I ever had was being a stay-at-home mom. Hardest job in the world I've ever had. There is That is no lie. We can get into that. We'll talk about that in another show, about what that means to be a stay-at-home mom for sure. But just trying to kind of tie this all up so to kind of give you uh, an introduction on who I am and why I do what I do. What, what is my purpose? And ultimately, here's the thing. I became a psychotherapist. First two years while I was getting my... Uh, my my uh, postgraduate clinical work done in order to become an independent practitioner, I worked as a sexual assault victim advocate um, and for two years. I also facilitated 
a, a support group for adult uh, women survivors of childhood sexual trauma. And I can tell you one thing, that is the epitome of resiliency. Those women that I worked with at the, at the support group, as well as all of my clients that I worked with um, as a victim advocate for sexual assault, these people were the epitome of resiliency. And so I got a really good heavy dose of what it looks like to bounce back, to be able to stand up and to move forward in life with fortitude and with strength of self and confidence. And here's the theme, the worthiness, the worthiness of self. Now, obviously I can't give you the whole full account of where I am today as far as my own personal experience goes. I've been in therapy for over 25 years. Therapy is an awesome thing. Therapy has helped me move out of that lack of worthiness and to see who I am despite my conditions. And that's what I wanna do for you. That's where I'm at. That's, that's the point and purpose of this broadcast is to share with you my narrative from an authentic place so that maybe you can take a little bit, you can glean a little bit of what I'm telling you and look at your own experiences in life and say, hmm, that makes sense. That, that, that makes a lot of sense here. And maybe just, you know, reframe your attitude about that. Kind of push past fear and into a love-based mindset. We only have two emotions. That's it, fear and love. And it's important to be able to lean into your love-based response so that you can embrace gratitude and gratitude breeds worthiness and worthiness breeds self-care and you know and and self-care you know pushes you into goal setting and goal setting uh, makes you feel fulfilled so that you have the ability to fully and functionally connect with other people so all of that to say is i finally had that moment where i realized that working with people as a psychotherapist was just another stepping stone to do where to get to where I want to be and that is right here and that is large group presentations and workshops and training skilled training um, I can do you know I do individual small group settings where I speak to people and it's not psychotherapy of course it's based in that experience with psychotherapy but here's the thing my experience in providing clinical interventions as a cognitive behavioral therapist proved to me how common people's issues really are. And while I can sit with somebody on a one-on-one -on -one and talk to them about what individual conditions they have been facing and to help them reframe a new way of thinking, I feel that I can do more of that from a strategic standpoint by creating a, a, a platform for you, the listener, to learn and grow from that is more, uh, it's more broad. It's not individualized, of course, because it's not intimate. I don't have personal details about you, but I can give you some of these skills that help you just kind of maybe familiarize yourself, maybe familiarize yourself with what the mental health process looks like so that maybe, you know, you're driving to work and you're thinking, damn, you know what? I've been wanting to go to therapy for a few years now, but I've been thinking, well, I can't afford it or I don't have insurance or, or I do have insurance, but I don't, I, it kind of scares me. The idea of sitting down with someone, they're just going to judge me. They're just going to make fun of me. They're not, and, but it is an intimidating process because anything that you don't fully understand 
is going to be an intimidating process. So that's why I share who I am and I share my authentic experience with my own mental health bullshit. And I, you know, I express that in uh, a real and raw way so that hopefully you listen and you might feel a sense of familiarity with me um, as somebody that's more like your contemporary and less like somebody who's, you know, above you in some sort of weird hierarchical uh, situation that, you know, knows all about you and is going to uh, trigger your shame. Nope, that's, that's not it. That's not it at all. I want... Uh, I want people to experience what I have experienced. I want people, that's it. That's what I want to do. I want people to live fulfilling lives, to have the understanding and the belief about who they are that is healthy and functional. So many people move through this space in, in, in the world that they're in, leaning into an old mindset. And I can't help but to feel just this incredible depth of compassion for people who haven't had the opportunity to grow into their purpose the way I have. Because I see people that are my age who still feel the same way about themselves that I felt when I graduated high school, when I felt unworthy, when I felt like I was less than. And to me, I feel like that's it right there. That is where I need to push and that I need to drive and that I need to sell this message and and be that conduit of inspiration and motivation for other people to see the reality and to see their their authentic self and to grow into their purpose and to understand what those obstacles are and what those obstacles have been that have prevented them from getting to that point so far in their life. So that's where, that's where I'm at. That's what I want to do for you. That's what I want this podcast to be. That's what I want all of my speaking engagements to be. That's what I want other people to feel. Because it does not matter who you are, where you're from, and what your background is. And, and I'm going to sound like a broken record because I say this all the time. And I'll, you know, I, I don't want to apologize for it, but it's, I got to beat this home. Is that all human beings are fallible. And all human beings are equal and worthy of love and respect and, and to see themselves as having value. Just because you grew up in a certain uh, part of the world or you grew up in a certain religion or you grew up with abusive caretakers or you, maybe you didn't have caretakers. Maybe you didn't have anybody. Maybe you had to raise yourself. Maybe the way that you uh, move through life is dysfunctional in and of itself. Maybe you're manipulative because you haven't learned how to do better. Maybe you haven't been exposed to opportunities to grow into your purpose. That's what I want to, I want to help fix that. And by God, if I can get up on a stage or if I can get behind a microphone and if I can share my narrative openly and, and talk about the books that I've written, books that I've written and push that out there and offer up those as an opportunity for the listener to grow, then if that gives you the strength and the belief and it helps to remove that fear from seeking out that therapy that you need, then I've done my job. I've done my job. You don't need to be a threat. You don't need to be afraid of going to therapy. You don't need to be frightened. 
It is a scary thing, but you don't need to let that stop you. It's not all that terrible. But I will say this about therapy. Uh, Finding a good therapist is like dating. You may meet up with somebody and it just doesn't click. Like, what the hell was Alma talking about? This this guy, this this person, this woman that I just met with for the last 50 minutes, she didn't, I didn't really like her. I didn't really like what he had to say. Or, you know, it's possible. But I'm here to tell you that just keep trying. Keep trying. If that if it doesn't work with one therapist, go see someone else. None of us work the same way. We go to school, we learn the basics, and we have to develop our platform based upon our own ideologies and our own ethics. And we have to do that in alignment with our licensure, but for the most part, we have to create our, our approach on our own. And so there's an enormous amount of opportunity to shape that in a way that hopefully will resonate with whoever we end up working with. So I want to leave you with that. And that's going to be my intro, my intro show (laughs) as an introduction. And as we move forward, I'm going to talk about a variety of different topics. I'm going to talk about a variety of different things that weigh heavily on my mind as, as points of inspiration to, to challenge you, to help you and, and to help you grow. And, uh, I, you know, I'm excited. I'm super excited. You know, I'll be 49 years old this year. And, you know, I, I, I think that, I'm incredibly grateful to be healthy and to have the freedom to use this uh, platform as a means to connect with you. And I hope that it's helpful. And I look forward to working with you and speaking to you and hearing your feedback. Please like and share this this podcast. Share it with your friends. Tell everybody about it. Share share it on social media. And let's, let's all work together to, to help us all do better and live better and to push out of fear and into love. Because after all, you know what? Life is meant to be enjoyed. Life is meant to be fulfilling. It's meant to be full of love. That's it. That's today. Hope you have a great day. Thanks again.